Hey everyone, how we doing this week? It's Jawad as always with Hit the Apex Podcast and thank you for tuning in. Yes, probably one of my favourite weeks of the of the year. Um, nothing in particular apart from a big race that happens a few hundred kilometres west of Sydney um, at a track called Mount Panorama <laughs> in a little town called Bathurst. Yes, the Bathurst 1000 is this weekend. Um, typically, it would have been already done, I think, a week ago, but given the hectic schedule that everyone's been trying to uh, get their heads around and the whole pandemic and everything, you know, we had to move it back uh, a week. So, you know, still grateful, I guess, and, you know, just in or that we're still going to have the race this year in its normal capacity. Um, you would have thought maybe six months ago or something that it wasn't likely that we're going to have any racing at all. But here we are. We've had a whole season of supercar racing. And then this is going to be the finale, the Bathurst 1000. And it's good that the championship is over as well. So there's not really, that's not really going to be on anyone's minds. It's more so, you know, we can go for the win, you know, because next to the championship, winning the Bathurst 1000, winning the Peter Brock Trophy is probably the biggest prize in in supercars, so more on that a bit later anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself with um, Bathurst because it's just so amazing, and if you've heard, you know, this podcast before, you've heard me talk about how amazing a place Bathurst is, having been there, um, what, four, five times now, four, I think, yeah, four sounds a bit better um having been there that many times now you know between the 1000 and then the 12 hour race as well just there's something about the place that has this aura and this mystique about it that just draws you in and you have to go there to actually feel that you know as a race fan you know if you watch it on tv it's not just it's not going to do it any justice so Give it a go if you guys get the opportunity one day to, to head to Bathurst for not just the 1,000, but for 12-hour. You've got the six-hour race as well that they do there. And um, I know this year the plan was to do, you know, TCR Australia, the S5000, but, uh, you know, obvious reasons that's not happening. So in the future, I'm sure we're going to have plenty more racing to come at Mount Panorama. But anyway... <clears throat> Back to the top of the sheet then, and uh, we had some Formula 1 over the weekend, the Eiffel Grand Prix, and, um, you know, at, on Friday you probably thought, oh, is there a, is anything going to even happen, given that we had um, bad weather, cancel first two practice sessions, uh, clarifying as well, in case people are wondering it was it was just because of the rain or whatever, it's actually because of the fog, uh, you know, and the mist created by the rain the visibility was so poor that you know for the circuit helicopter that's got to be able to fly out to the nearest hospital in case of an emergency on track or whatever because that helicopter is not able to take off they can't actually officially start any sessions or have any cars on track so good on the FIA for how they managed that and everything I know they haven't really made a lot of good decisions this year as far as stewarding is concerned and a lot of people are getting a bit you know showing a bit of aggro about that and everything all over the place but you know when it comes to the safety and um, making sure everyone's secure and everything they've actually done a really good job so a bit disappointing, yeah, we didn't get any Friday practice, I know Mick Schumacher and Calamilo, Arlot, I can never say it right, I think it's Arlot, I'm sure someone will pull me up over it soon, 
Um, both of those guys were going to do free practice one for Alfa Romeo and Haas respectively, so that didn't end up happening, and hopefully they do get the opportunity later in the season, permitting um, schedule permitting and everything. But it also was a good <clears throat> taste of what we're going to get when we get to Imola later on in the season where there's only going to be one practice session on the Saturday. It's going to be like a two-day format that they're trialing. One practice session on Saturday and then straight into qualifying. So and given that this is a track to that almost half the grid or more than half the grid, sorry, haven't actually raced out in a Formula One car and then neither of the drivers have actually raced here in the current generation Formula One car with the hybrid power units. Um, it did throw up some challenges but you know overall I feel like we got a a really good (coughs) sorry (laughs) overall I feel like we got a really good um result as far as you know practice going into qualifying and then the qualifying going into the race so without further ado I guess it was no worries you know without the practice for a certain Lewis Hamilton winning his 91st Grand Prix and in doing so tying Michael Schumacher's record of 91 wins and Yes, you know, we can sit here and discuss the validity or, I mean, I don't even know why you have to use the term like validity. Like, it's interesting people saying, oh, you know, it's not the same because, you know, Hamilton has won in an easier era or there's so much, you know, there's so much being talked about about why, you know, Hamilton's 91 wins isn't... um, isn't legitimate or whatever. Um, if we were, if we were just going to think about the old days and how everything was so good back then, then we would all say that you know the greatest era for, or the most toughest era to be setting records would have been back in the fifties and sixties, which you know I agree with, and I think it's you know astonishing what those guys did, especially the ones who won and won um, repeatedly and who actually survived live to tell the tale more so but at the same time it's a sport motorsport it's motorsport and motorsport evolves over time the bar changes i think the preparation and intensity that the drivers go through these days is a lot more um a lot more fierce and you can tell the difference between you know the ones who do more work than others yes you know the car comes into it as well and hamilton has had a great car at Mercedes, you know, one of the most dominant teams in the sports history if they win their, and not not if, sorry, when they win their seventh consecutive Constructors' Championship this year. But it doesn't discount the fact that he himself has worked so hard with that team. You know, nothing is delivered on a silver platter. His input is still there. And in a Schumacher kind of way, back when Schumacher was successful with Ferrari, he made that team his, same as Lewis did with Mercedes. And, you know, then you've got your management people around, you know, your Toto Wolfs and Andy Cowles on the engine side and everything like that, uh, James Allison. And same with Schumacher when he was at Ferrari, Ross Braun and John Todd, Rory Byrne and all. So, you know, these things, it's not because, you know, of the car is good. The car's good too, but would we see other drivers on the grid doing as well in a Mercedes, which was kind of what Toto Wolf was saying after the race in response to criticism about Hamilton reaching the record. <clears throat> Maybe they would be good. Maybe they'd be better. Who knows? But for the moment, Hamilton has been one of the best drivers um, over the last few years. 
especially, you know, when you look at the years like 2017, 2018, where Mercedes didn't even have the best car. It was totally in Ferrari's court, the ball, and Sebastian Vettel's court, yet they found a way to lose the title on both occasions, lose race wins and get in all sorts of trouble while it was Mercedes on the back foot. You know, they would have to scrounge up a result, you know, be the consistent ones, make sure that they weren't finishing... Um, They weren't, you know, retiring from races or having incidents. And I can't even think back to the last time that Hamilton actually had a DNF against his name either. You know, I'm sure it would have been in the last, I'm not going to say 12 months, but let's say 18 months because such has been his dominance. But it's also down to his consistency too. So again, I think it's something that in maybe not even 10 years, I think in 20 years time, we're probably going to feel the impact of his achievements more like I hope that it takes just as long for someone else to come in so back in 2006 when Schumacher won his last race no one would have thought that oh anyone would have reached 91 races or 91 race wins this quickly so hopefully you know we have to wait another decade or something or two before we get this record broken again and then probably it'll allow us time to appreciate the achievement a lot more and you know as I've said many times you know Hamilton probably is not everyone's cup of tea certainly wasn't my cup of tea either but then at the same time now I'm not his number one fan either I don't walk around going team LH the best blah 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 best fans hashtag no it's more so Seeing him evolve from where he was when he first joined Mercedes, let's say back in 2013 and even his days back at McLaren, he's become just a better human, you know, he's become a more mature person, he's become, he's got this holistic view of things now where, you know, he's got the thing on the outside of the sport where he's doing his thing for the environment, for sustainability, for ending racism and promoting equality and everything. And now he's trying to build that into what he's doing on track as well. So, you know, looking for pushing more equality and no racism in motorsport too. It's that sort of stuff as well that is the hallmark of a great champion. Where, yeah, look, you know, we can give credit to someone for all their achievements on track, but also it's the legacy that they leave off the track, I think, is going to make him more remembered as far as everything is concerned you know Etten Senna was the same with what he accomplished off the track with helping the kids in poverty in Brazil you know getting them education and everything so he was that kind of figure that people looked up to in that way you know Schumacher had his own things as well that made him great and then you look back at the list of other champions, Prost, Fangio, uh, Nicky Lauda as well, they're all great, you know, I'm not going to say that, oh, one's better than the other or whatever, so just because now we've got a driver who is not everyone's cup of tea that is now in that list with those legends as well, it's not a bad thing, you know, what are we going to, what are people going to say when Max Verstappen or whatever um, ends up there someday, are we going to have a same tantrum well, probably not because there seems to be more Verstappen fans than there are there are Hamilton. But the point is, we should be not grateful, but we should just appreciate what he has achieved, Hamilton, because it's no easy feat. Like none of us can get into a car and 
do what he's done, uh, although some people think they can, but anyway, <laughs> we won't talk about them. So, yeah, that's basically where I'm getting at. I know this kind of turned into a mini rant about, you know, people beating up on Hamilton, but I'm sure at the end of the season when we can sit back and, you know, I can reflect on the whole season and just the gravity of him getting to title number seven, which, let's face, you know, could be within the next few races, um, I think I'll spend more time saying why we should be appreciative. If you don't want to be, that's fine, you know, but it's, it's just, it gets to a point where it's a bit like, here we go again, you know, we're living in the past and all that sort of stuff, but all right, let's, let's stop and let's talk about the race more so. So, yep, Hamilton won 91st race. Valtteri Bottas was on pole, um, and all things were looking pretty rosy for him until he ended up having a power unit failure and was out of the race. So you talk about Bottas's luck. Conversely, this year has been absolutely rotten and another DNF against his name for this season. Um, you had Max Verstappen, who qualified third, stayed third for most of the race before the Bottas retirement and ended up getting elevated to second um at the start of the race we saw a nice little battle there with Charles Leclerc and Daniel Ricciardo so Ricciardo still chasing that first podium for Renault which he actually accomplished this weekend woohoo even though he forgot to do the shoey <laughs> on the podium and ended up having to do it after Woods in his um in his little bunker or whatever so Leclerc qualified fourth so great result there for Ferrari and you know they ended up turning that result into some solid points or whatever but the fact is that the Renault was faster than the Ferrari at this stage in the season so that says a lot and Renault have just been on a very very big upwards climb this whole year you know we kind of wrote them off or I wrote them off and said oh you know they're not going to be as good as Racing Point or McLaren this season and you know at the moment they've been not only fast but they've been consistent too particularly on Daniel Ricciardo's side of the garage you know Esteban Ocon is a is another story but he unfortunately didn't see the end of the race either with a hydraulics failure so that's a bit unfortunate but Renault really just making that case now and you know it's like I hope Daniel Ricciardo has not made another bad career choice by leaving Renault for McLaren next year. But I think McLaren are in a unique situation where, you know, they're switching engine manufacturers as well. And then, you know, they're just on this upwards climb. It, they've had a few hiccups this season, which has been a bit disappointing. But I think there's still a lot of positivity to look forward with them. So, Dan... Looking really racy, that Renault quicker than the um, Ferrari. He made the move on lap nine, swooped past at turn two on the outside. So, and that's basically where we got the little trigger for pit stops quite early. So Leclerc came in in lap eleven, switched over the medium tire, and there was a lot of drivers suffering with flat spots and things like that. You know, we saw similar happen to Seb Vettel as well. And insert your Spinala joke here with Seb Vettel, but he lost the rear at turn one while he was trying to fight Kimi. Raikkonen and congratulations Kimi Raikkonen on 323 races started in F1 he's the record holder now even though he probably gives very little cares about that but um you know Seb losing the rear on his own it just kind of snapped away from him and uh ended up locking up the front brakes and everything and uh, had a flat spot so he had to pit Bottas as well ended up locking up on lap 13 even though he actually had a bit of a gap over Lewis but ended up as a result 
conceding that gap and had to make that early pit stop for medium tyres as well. But then after that, we had a bit of complications with a virtual safety car coming out on lap 16. So this was because Kimi, the bad boy Kimi, made some contact with George Russell and Russell ended up out of the race and um, with a damaged car and everything. So they had to deploy the virtual safety car to recover the Williams. And basically this allowed Hamilton and Verstappen at the front to take a free pit stop. So it wasn't because of that, you know, the blow and you know depression that you would have got after seeing your rivals and your teammate get a free pit stop ahead of you that Valtteri Bottas decided to hang up the cape for the day but it was um yeah power unit failure on Bottas's side so a bit you know disappointing for him to have that reliability failure but but at the same time he kind of fell afoul of that virtual safety car and and not only lost one position, but two positions with um, Hamilton, sorry, Verstappen as well as Hamilton getting ahead. So that was that little part of the race. And then after that, we kind of went into a, a bit of a tyre conservation phase. So as I said, Ocon dropped out of the race too. We had Alex Albon in all sorts of trouble during the race. And, you know, again, the... Um, the drums are beating and, you know, they're baying for blood as far as Albon is concerned. He ended up having a power unit failure also and retired from the race, but that was um, well after some scraps with the Alpha Tauri drivers. So Albon actually saying on the radio that, oh, you know, they, they these guys, they race hard, you know, they, they're relentless or whatever, you know, kind of alluding to the fact that he feels like these drivers... Uh, Pierre Gasly and Danny Fiat are picking on him in particular and you know the reason probably why that is is you know because he took Gasly's seat at um, Red Bull last year but that's not Albon's fault so don't go after the the um the poor guy but you know Gasly again looking very racy did well finished P6 in the race overall Poor Kvyat, though, um, there was a bit of a silly move from Albon, ended up swiping the front of Kvyat's car coming in out of the last corner and lost the front wing, um, so it wasn't great for him, ended up finishing outside the points, and then, yeah, Albon, of course, finished out of the race altogether, and quickly, while we're talking about the baying for blood and everything... If Red Bull are publicly still backing, and, and you know, I can only trust Red Bull people as far as I can throw them, um, with what they said with Gasly last year and saying that, oh, he's safe and everything, and next minute you find out that he's been sacked, <laughs> um, then publicly publicly backing Ocon at the moment, not Ocon, sorry, Albon at the moment, is a good sign, but, you know, I'm starting to get the feeling now that, you know, they might be looking externally for next year, and, you know, we've got a good candidate, of course, um, Sergio Perez on the market, but then the name Nico Hulkenberg popped up over the weekend, and for those who probably didn't know or, you know, whatever, Hulkenberg actually raced over the weekend I should have I don't know why I'm trying to make it sound like it was a big secret or whatever but yeah Hulkenberg subbed in again at Racing Point Lance Stroll ended up falling ill nothing to do with COVID it was more like he had the runs and um yeah he was on the throne for the majority of the weekend one would imagine you don't have to imagine if you don't want to it's not pleasant but yeah Hulk apparently was 
given a call by Dr. Helmut Marko ahead of the weekend. So Hulk's plans, originally he was supposed to come to the track and do some commentary work for a German broadcaster. So he was in the area anyway. So he was sitting there having breakfast or whatever, Friday morning or Saturday morning, and suddenly he gets the phone call from Otmar Safnauer to come in to sub for Lance Stroll, and it's convenient they've already got a, a seat fit for him in that car for when he deputised for Checo earlier in the year. But apparently um, Alex Albon and a number of um, Red Bull crew had uh, inconclusive COVID tests ahead of the weekend. So Helmut Marko apparently gave Hulkenberg a call and said, you know, could you possibly be on standby for us this weekend? Because, you know, we could have a driver that um, drops out. And Red Bull, their reserve drivers, I think they've got Sebastian Buemi. Um, I'm not sure who else is in their reserves or whatever, but Buemi would have obviously been un- unavailable in this instance. But does it open the door for the fact that these guys made contact, um, Marco and Hulkenberg? Does it make... Um, does it kind of... Uh, do you get the feeling that maybe... Hulkenberg is in the frame for next year to replace Albon so again another thing that you know as time goes on we'll probably figure out and I don't know what where I saw it and who said it but something about Red Bull trying to get their driver lineup sorted um, by Turkey the Turkish Grand Prix later in the year so that would not only be you know Red Bull but also Alpha Tauri as well and there's a lot of names floating around there of course you've got Yuki Sonoda the Red Bull junior driver in F2 and They've publicly come out and said as well that, you know, regardless of, because he's a Honda-affiliated driver as well, um, regardless of Honda pulling out and everything, that, you know, Sonoda is very much still a candidate for an AlphaTauri seat next year. But, you know, where does that leave likes of Alex Albon, Danny Kvyat, of course? Does Pierre Gasly put his foot in somewhere else as well? You know, if he's not going to be immediately looked at for the Red Bull promotion back to, to where he was last year. So a bit of a merry-go-round still going as far as the driver market is concerned. But yeah, Hulkenberg, you know, let's talk about him subbing in for Stroll. He had he qualified last on the grid, you know, with only not even a practice session under his belt. Um, and from there, got three positions up on the start and ended up finishing a solid P8, and that kind of earned him the driver of the day as well from the fans with the, the fan vote online, so good on him, and um, it's weird, you know, that even though we've seen him race three races this year and he scored points on both two occasions of the three, that Hulkenberg isn't driving full-time this year. And it's, you know, everyone can have this debate about how it's blasphemy and it's, a, oh, you know, it's an injustice and whatever. But, hey, Sergio Perez lost his seat to, to Sebastian Vettel or, let's say, to Lance Stroll um, for next year at Aston Martin. So, you know this stuff happens it's formula one it's it's crazy <laughs> i mean how did people like uh uh you know i mean i feel like this is cruel saying this about pasta maldonado because he did win a race after all but you know people like pasta how did how did they make it in or you know uh guys that are racing for hrt back in the day the hispania team or you know the lotus caterham team and all that sort of stuff so yeah you know Hopefully Hulk can get a seat next year, but, you know, there seems to be more drivers than seats now on the market, so we're just going to have to wait and see um, how that all pans out. But let's go back to the race, let's go back to what was going on. So Daniel Ricciardo, as far as his 
little race narrative was concerned, he actually pitted under the virtual safety car, where which Hamilton and Verstappen also took advantage of, whilst Checo, who was a contender for the podium um, later on in the race, he pitted 12 laps after Ricardo did and was on fresher tyres, and he was catching up to Ricardo. But if it wasn't for the safety car that came out on lap 44 when Lando Norris, who had probably one of the worst days of his F1 career, you know, struggling with a power unit problem throughout the race, you know, in all sorts of switching between different modes and not getting the result that he wanted and getting a bit testy with his engineer as well on the radio. He ended up having to park the car on lap 44. That triggered the safety car to come out as well. And we saw everyone basically take a second pit stop. Um, Fresh tyres for both Ricardo and for Perez so you would have thought that without the safety car Perez was in a better position but alas that wasn't the case Dan pretty much protected his lead in third and held on to that podium while still solid result of fourth for Checo and I think a podium isn't too far away from his grasp either this year and we've seen him take so many podiums and just for him you know leaving this team that he's been with involved with with so long and delivered so much results for as well in the past he's going to want to go out with you know a point to prove and at the moment he's sitting ahead of Lance Stroll in the uh, in the driver's championship too and you know people could say oh Stroll missed a race well Perez missed two races and he's still ahead of um, his teammates so there you go that that's kind of an open and shut case that one (laughs) and we can move on The race was restarted on lap 50 as well out of 60, so Hamilton basically just took off into the sunset, um, left Max in his weight and ended up winning the race as I've already mentioned and everything. It was a nice touching gesture as well, Mick Schumacher being there as well, not able to do his FP1 session or whatever, um, presenting his dad. Uh, 2012 helmet that he wore with Mercedes so Hamilton I guess he's growing accustomed to these helmet presentations he got one from the Senna family for when he equaled Ayrton Senna's qualifying pole positions record back in 2017 I believe it was at Canada and then now um, breaking that all-time wins record getting the Michael Schumacher helmet as well of course who he retired with Mercedes and um, it was Hamilton who actually replaced Schumacher at Mercedes in 2013 so you know if the family if the Schumacher family can make that kind of gesture to to Lewis Hamilton it means that fans should probably be a bit less saltier about um the record being broken and you know the great man Michael himself said you know records are there to be broken and you know wherever Michael is at the moment Michael Schumacher you know just keep fighting dude because (laughs) you've still got fans all over the world and what he achieved is not gonna be forgotten at all you know even though Hamilton has now equaled that and is going to surpass it the fact that Schumacher was the first one to get to 91 you know and now you know the second driver or whatever in that in that little elite group let's say it's not going to change anytime soon and it's not going to change at all so for those people who say Schumacher is still the greatest then so be it he's the greatest for you for you and he's still the greatest for many and this doesn't change anything (laughs) so before I get into a tantrum about that again let's look at the rest of the podium so Verstappen second solid lonely drive whatever you want to say 
seems to be the case for him a lot this year but he is delivering and outperforming that car in so many ways even though we did see the gap kind of closer between he and Mercedes and qualifying and I just want to quickly it just dawned on me just before like literally then while talking about Red Bull and Verstappen closing the gap but we haven't heard anyone complain about the ban on engine modes since it happened like I didn't even know it happened this year this many races after it's happened I think it happened back at Monza so how how's that you know like it was such a furor at the time that it was going to happen it's like oh you can't change rules in the middle of the season it's gonna you know do this do that it's done what you know it, it did what we thought it would do as far as make Mercedes a lot stronger but, um, you know, Red Bull with their upgrades as well this season kind of slowly chipping away at that deficit. And I think it was like four-tenths four tenths or something in qualifying between he and the pole time. So, yeah, you know, Max, I guess, just being the silent achiever this year. You know, if you want to give him an award, you could give him that one because he's been racking up the podiums. He's sitting pretty there in third in the Drivers' Championship. And I think, you know, if Bottas has more bad luck this year then you know max could be a contender for finishing second but um you know for red bull in the constructors championship too they're going to finish second there so there's not really much more you can do if you're red bull you know this year you know apart from go for wins if you can of course and you know another win would be great for them and as many good results as they can get for honda as well before they leave at the end of next year but um the focus i guess more people were giving attention to who was third on the podium, which was Ricardo, of course. His first podium since the Monaco Grand Prix win in nine, not 19, sorry, 2018. You know, it was Renault's first podium as a manufacturer team since the Malaysia Grand Prix in 2011, which I'm pretty sure it was Nick Heidfeld who finished on the podium that day um, for Renault. So, you know, just... <clears throat> You can have that conversation about, you know, whether Ricardo just didn't have the faith in, in Renault or he should have, you know, held on a bit longer and seen what this year would have been like before making his decision. But it's very positive to see. And I know a lot of people aren't Renault fans and everything, but it's a good result for them. It's vindication for the work that they've been doing. Of course, we should have probably seen this kind of form earlier. But, you know, the fact that they're doing it now, the fact they're they're on this, you know, upwards trajectory means that next year when someone like Fernando Alonso jumps in the car which you know he did some testing this week or saw in the same car at Barcelona he should be getting results you know we should hopefully see Nando back on the podium next year which I'm sure he will be hoping for too because I don't think someone like Fernando Alonso will want to return to F1 just to be finishing you know where he was when he was at McLaren you know finishing fifth or whatever for for some points world championship uh, caliber driver world champion he is the two-time world champion for this Renault team back in the day and stone um he'll want to <laughs> have a car that's uh, going to get him some good results so yeah at, le- at least we got to see the shoey too even though it wasn't on the podium it was after that elsewhere too in the race <laughs> and i know there were, it was such an eventful race and probably not you know not a classic but it was still very eventful and a lot to talk about as we've you know, we're here 30 minutes on, still talking about it. Um, Carlos Sainz finishing fifth, I guess, you know, good result for McLaren, but I guess with the second DNF in a row for Norris um, and, 
hemorrhaging points in the Constructors' Championship. We see Racing Point now move ahead of four, by four points over McLaren. Renault are still behind, but, but not by much now. I think it's like two points or something. So, you know, for McLaren, this, you know, streak of bad luck that they're having has got to end hopefully soon so they can, you know, get back those points that they've lost to Racing Point. And, you know, they've had two podiums this year. Racing Point have had two podiums this year. So... You're not going to get an opportunity at this, you know, in this era of racing to challenge for third in the Constructors' Championship as a midfield team. You know, they're very lucky with Ferrari not being up there this year that they're able to do that. So they've got to make the most of it. And for someone like a Racing Point, that would be the best finishing position in the Constructors' Championship for them ever, you know, in their in the existence of their team as forcing you to Racing Point or whatever. McLaren, you know, return for them since you know i think like 2012 or whatever was the last time that they finished in the top three in the constructors championship or something like that so you know very crucial year as far as that's concerned so you know for signs to get fifth good solid haul of points but at the same time no points from the second car is disappointing and you know it's not norris's fault of course but um you know they're gonna have to try and look at something to improve reliability uh already said gasly was sixth leclerc in seventh but um finishing the points you know in ninth roman grosjean it feels like it's been a million years since he's finished in the po- on the not on the podium sorry he was on the podium last time they were here at the nurburgring but no no he finished p9 and had a very long stint on the hard tyre, 32 laps that he did, and he was one of the only guys who did a one-stop race and actually made it work. And apparently he had an injured index finger too, and this was caused by Kimi going off earlier in the race into the gravel and a piece of gravel actually being kicked up and hitting Grosjean <laughs> hitting Grosjean on the finger. And the reason I'm laughing is because the way Grosjean um, came onto the radio to complain because it's, you know, classic Grosjean, his tone is so wild whiny poor guy i hope his finger's actually okay but it actually made him drive really well and finish ninth you know to get two points for Haas so they get um some extra points in the constructors championship you know while Williams has still not scored um Kimi as far as his 2323rd race was concerned ended up finishing down in 12 so you know no real consolation for him but his teammate Antonio Giovinazzi finished um not Nazi Nazi Giovanazzi um, ended up finishing in P10. Random Italian accent just inserted there. Um, he finished P10 and scored a point two. So, you know, compared to the his teammate, I guess a lot more impressive. And is the door closed on him staying at Alfa Romeo for next year? Who knows? Like there was some conjecture and speculation during the week about Kimi Raikkonen having taken up an option or something like that for 2021 and he'll stay at Alfa Romeo and then Kimi came out and denied that saying he's got no such option in his contract and you know people just like making up stuff blah 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 so it's still very much an open book as to what the Alfa Romeo driver lineup would look like I think for a while there you know people thought that it could be Hulkenberg and um Hulkenberg or Perez with Mick Schumacher there but you know could there be a chance that someone like a Giovinazzi or or Raikkonen in this instance um, stay put, but it's it's hard to tell at the moment. And Giovinazzi putting in a good result like that and scoring some points might make the decision a bit more difficult. But it could be too late. 
could be too late who knows might have already been uh been made and we'll just find out soon hopefully what um they're going to be doing there so that pretty much wraps it up you know as far as the awful grand prix is concerned f1 is concerned it was good being back at the Nürburgring, for sure. You know, probably wouldn't go back there. Like, you know, it's not like I missed it, you know, when you watch the race and everything. And considering the time of year as well, you know, there was a lot of debate and, you know, anger. And I'm not going to even say debate because there's nothing, there's never a healthy debate anymore. It's just people yelling at each other about how they're right and they're, you're wrong and nah, nah, nah. Um, Basically, people saying that, oh, you know, why do they go back there? Why do they go there in October when it's freezing cold and, you know, they should have done better, blah, blah, blah. Well, we wouldn't have had the race or we wouldn't have any races if they people weren't flexible with the calendar this year. That was the simple thing. If they were going to say, oh, because the weather, we're not going to run a race, then, you know, get out of here. As long as it's safe enough to do is you're not doing it in the middle of a typhoon. And they took the measures as well on Saturday, on Friday, sorry, with the helicopter not being able to take off, that they had no track running. Simple as that. So, you know, for those people who want to beat up on the FIA for that, I think you should find something better to beat them up for. And there's probably a list out there of things that, you know, could be improved. But as far as making the decision to race at the Nürburgring and to race in Germany in October, totally fine by me. Whether we'll see it happen again, probably not, because this pandemic is, you know, a once in a generational or once in a lifetime thing. And I don't think Oh, touch wood, you know, hopefully we don't get anything like this happen again, so it's done, it's over with, we move to Portimao next, which I'm really excited about, another circuit that we haven't seen, or, you know, F1 fans in particular, if they don't follow other motor racing categories, they probably won't know of, so, you know, like Mugello, it's going to be fast, it's going to be exciting, very you know, a lot of undulation as well, so really looking forward to that when we go there in a couple of weeks' time. Alright, and moving it on to my favourite part of this week's podcast, and that's talking about the Bathurst 1000, and, you know, 40 minutes in already with um with the Eiffel Grand Prix, I think, you know, I'm not going to try and keep this one short and sweet, because it's Bathurst, man, it's Bathurst. Ah, you know, if you don't understand, then you got to watch it and find out. But um, who's the mountain going to pick this year? That's the that's the whole thing. That's what makes Bathurst so mystical is that you don't go there thinking that, oh, you know, I'm going to win Bathurst and, you know, it's going to let me win or whatever. Because what happens is you end up crashing. You do a Mark Scaife in 2006 on the first lap and you get taken out <laughs> still so funny that but um probably not very nice given that you know they were out to to win for peter brock as everyone would have been that day um back in 2006 following the tragic death of the legend um a few months earlier or a month earlier i should say in september that year and craig lowndes jamie wincup crossing the line that day to to win the inaugural peter brock trophy and for lowndes to pay tribute to his old mate in in the great man to nine-time race winner but um taking it back to this year i guess and let's you know let's be frank let's be honest with each other and say it kind of feels surreal that even with the pandemic and everything that's gone on that we still have a great race this year you know I mean I would have been in disbelief if it wasn't going to happen this year if it was cancelled and everything and would be like but October 
spring, Bathurst, daylight savings, all that sort of stuff, but it's happening, you know, and it's kind of surreal given that everything we've gone through and, you know, a lot of people might not want to talk about it, you know, be say, oh, you know, let's just try and tough it out and not talk about these things, but those of us who want to be honest and say, yeah, it's been a hard year, we've all struggled with whatever it is in our lives, you know, family, um, work, relationships, even just you know, your your passions and hobbies, you know, such as sport or whatever. Um, and for the people involved directly in supercars, the supercars championship, the teams and everything, the people who've been on the road, especially the Victorian crews who've been on the road for so long now, going back to June or July, I, should, I think, July or August when they um, closed the borders with everyone in the country, it's been a hard slog. So this you know, this year's Bathurst, I guess, is a culmination and, you know, just a real celebration and a thank you to all those people who have stuck it out, um, who have been able to ensure that we will have this great race to watch come Sunday. So, you know, that for that, that's amazing. That's the whole surreal part that, you know, we're still going to have it happen. And how exciting if you're one of those 4,000 fans that gets to go, you know, I mean, 4,000 is no patch on the 100,000 that we usually get for race day. Um, for the Bathurst 1000, but still being able to go there and see the teams, the drivers, cars on track and everything, I think is really exciting. So, and hopefully we have an exciting race because, you know, it's it's six hours long generally and there's a lot that plays out in it. So, you know, weather-wise, we're expecting top of 22 degrees that day, showers predicted too, so um, for race day that is, so rain always throws up variables as we know and you know the year I was there 2015 um, had a bit of rain on and off throughout the day and that caused a bit of chaos and whatnot and 2017 probably one of my favorite um, years with David Reynolds and Luke Yulden winning for Erebus um, that was pretty much raining all day that race and it was quite miserable but they they survived and everything so you know we're looking forward to that qualifying though for for Saturday that's going to be dry um, not qualifying I should say it's the top 10 shootout that we have Saturday afternoon qualifying takes place on the Friday and then you have another practice session on the Saturday before the top 10 shootout so we should see some some good laps coming in on um, Saturday with the top 10 shootout and you know when you think of what McLaughlin did there a couple of years ago um, or even last year even though that lap's been disqualified now um, and Reynolds as well going for pole in I think 2018 it was the year that he cramped up and everything so qualifying is still a magical or the top 10 shootout that is is still a magical part of the weekend even though you know where you qualify in the grid doesn't really matter as far as an endurance race like this is concerned because as we've seen 2014 those who qualify last or at the bottom end of the grid can still come and win the race and do it on the last lap too mind you with only a couple of corners to spare so um that's you know Chaz Mostert I'm talking about um beating Win Cup who ran out of fuel that year so one of my favorite races I guess it's probably in the top five there uh, 2014 um and I've talked about that as well actually this year on the podcast when I was doing the the racing revisitations um series whilst in lockdown that didn't last long though <laughs> ended up getting back to work straight away or two weeks later 
So this year we've got a grid of 25 cars, 20 of which will have new combinations as well, which I think I've pointed out previously. So, you know, with no lead time, no Enduro Cup this year as well, it's going to be all that experience that these drivers have. You know, we've got 11 winners, 11 previous winners of the great race, you know, no pre-event mileage as well. There's going to be three co-driver-only sessions, though, across the weekend, so that'll be important for those co-drivers to familiarise themselves. But then this is where the experienced drivers will draw on that experience and perhaps, you know, get a leg up on some of the newer guys and the rookies that are coming in. And the reliance, I guess, as well on the drivers who've been recently out of a full-time drive too has grown exponentially you know ever since triple eight you know hired the likes of Greg garth tander and craig lowndes as co-drivers you know those are two former series champions how do you match that well you know shell v power racing they've always had tony d'alberto in the car he's been a handy peddler a handy peddler um but for Scott McLaughlin's side of the garage, they've gone with Tim Slade this year instead of Alex Premer. That was announced pre-COVID, obviously, so that was a decision strategic for um, DGR Team Penske to get a guy who has recently driven the car full-time, uh, which Tim Slade did do last year for Brad Jones Racing, and put him in to go up against the likes of Tander and, and Lowndes. You've also got, you know, Michael Caruso there, James Moffat, who've only been recently out of the cars, and their combinations at Tickford, you know, Caruso with Holdsworth, who've been on the podium before with GRM back in the day, looking good. Moffat there with LeBrock, who LeBrock's been sensational this year. He's been in good form. He's had the win back at Sydney, some podiums as well as recently as um, the Bend, um, going back a few weeks now. And then the Cameron Waters and Will Davison pairing. Oh, that looks so enticing you know if you want to put a bet on or something like that not that I do that kind of thing because Bathurst is so unpredictable but um, odds on there'll be favorites and a dark horse for the race and Davison in that Tickford car earlier in the year when he was racing under 23 red um, he was quick he was up there same pace as Waters so those two guys will be quick and besides there's no Chas Mostert this year in the super cheap auto car to make contact with with the monster energy car unless you know he uh a walk and shore and united ends up finding waters on the same piece of road hopefully they should stay clear of each other but then you go down the list and then you've got you know likes of um jack perkins as well who's been handy he was on the podium last year with um james courtney at walk and shore steve owen who's been a you know stalwart as far as co-drivers co-driving is concerned david russell as well um and other drivers who've uh, warren luff as well who's another favorite of mine um and then drivers who've been recently out of the car talking about likes james golding driving driving full-time last year and uh, dale wood too who's only recently out of a full-time gig as well so very very nice grid very interesting grid even though we don't have international drivers this year but a lot to look forward to with these pairings so yeah that experience is really going to count but it's also going to be a good opportunity for some young drivers to really make a mark and make um, put their name out there for the future too, as we've seen at this race in the past um, with young drivers. And I think Nick Perkat's a classic example of that, winning with Garth Tander back in 2011. So 
Speaking of which, you know, and they won for Holden in, a, in the HRT, Holden Racing Team car. Um, and talking about Holden, speaking of which, <laughs> it's going to be an emotional race for Holden because it's their final race as a manufacturer in the Australian Touring Car Championship. You know, the legacy that goes on for however many decades, five, six decades or whatever, comes to an end. You know, even though we're going to have the Commodore on the grid next year or whatever, the Holden manufacturer branding will not be there and that you know kind of makes me sad will make all the Holden fans sad that Bathurst is going to be that last time that the lion will roar properly so you know when you look at Holden stats over the years Bathurst and Holden go hand in hand you know it's synonymous with each other um they've got the most wins of any manufacturer at the 1000 or between the 1000 and the 500 back in the um late 60s early 70s 33 wins as manufacturer and when you compare that to i think 21 wins for ford it's it's a big margin you look at the famous teams famous Holden teams that have won as well, the Holden dealer team being the most successful with nine wins, and then seven wins between HRT and Triple Eight, who, Triple Eight obviously the current factory Holden racing team, uh, with Red Bull as the title sponsor, I think the onus will be on them, they'll feel the pressure or whatever to take that win, you know, as a factory Holden team, but basically any of the Holden teams, you know, they will want to win this one you know you look at brad jones racing as well brad jones as a driver never got to win bathurst he was on the podium several times but then as a team owner it's you know not been very good for him either so a win for him and he's got nick perk out in in one of his cars so that's going to be something to look forward to as far as that combination is concerned he'll be driving with thomas randall this year but then looking at bathurst legends you know for holden Peter Brock, those nine wins stand out as a class above everyone else. You know, you look at guys like Craig Lowndes, Stephen Richards, uh, Jim Richards as well. They've all won races at Bathurst. They've won Bathurst, but, you know, with different manufacturers too. So it's, you know, hard to say, oh, you know, you know, you can still say that they're um, Bathurst legends or Holden legends or whatever, but, you know, they didn't win all their races with um, with Holden, but, you know, we still put them up there. But it's guys like Murph, you know, Mark Scaife, even though he won a race for Nissan, Larry Perkins, who, you know, the Holden faithful that have been quite successful there, and Murph, you know, thinking about the lap of the gods, 2003, um, you know, sends chills down your spine looking at that, um, and back when a 205 or 206, sorry, I should say, was the lap record, you know, I think Scott McLaughlin in the, with the illegal engine last year ended up um, smashing that, it was a 203 he was able to get which was the unofficial lap record or official lap record whichever way you want to look at it some of my favorite wins i guess for holden probably in more recent times ever since i've been watching avidly the supercars championship i already mentioned the 2011 one with tander and percat but 2015 with Lowndes and Richards, obvious reasons. Uh, Reynolds and Yulden in 17. David slaying Goliath, literally. Um, the Little Erebus team putting themselves on the map after that win. And then 
the smallest winning margin ever in the Bathurst 1000 as well, 2016. Will Davison winning by whisker over Shane Van Gisbergen, you know, for, for Techno as well. So a privateer holding team taking success. And Jonathan Webb, the co-driver, he'll be, and the team owner, I should say too, with all due respect, um, on the grid again this year, partnering up with Alex Davison. So, and Shane Van Gisbergen that year was with Alex Premer. And Premer, obviously, we know is unable to take part in this year's event, even though he was um, put down as a Tickford co-driver. So, speaking of Red Bull Holden Racing Team and Van Gisbergen, you know, I guess their desire will be to win the Peter Brock Trophy this year, not only because it's Holden's final year and everything and their last race as the factory Holden team, but because the championship, they were unable to win that. So, this will be the one trophy that they want to take. Yes, the team's championship is still up for grabs and there's 100 points between the Shell V-Power team and the Red Bull team, but it's all about winning that race, you know, winning the Peter Brock Trophy. Someone like, someone like Van Gisbergen, who hasn't won it before, he'll have the motivation to do so, given that he's had a pretty luckless season, a very lackluster season, you could say, as well. And I would very much like to see someone like Gizzy win it. You know, he's won the Bathurst 12-hour. He's, you know, been successful in everything he's done. He's a supercars champion as well. And I think Bathurst is the last thing that he needs on his um, resume, I guess, to, to tick off and say, yep, you know, I've accomplished that. And he's in a team, of course, of, you know, former series champions and also Bathurst champions too. When you look at Win Cup, uh, four-time winner, Lowndes, the seven-time winner, and um, Garth Tander, who's won it a couple of times as well. So, yeah, you know, We'll be all rooting for Gizzy, I think, but, you know, it's Bathurst, you root for anyone, and I hope that, you know, we get a good race out of it, and um, while we're talking about Shell V-Power Racing 2, I guess um, it could possibly be the final race in supercars for Scott McLaughlin, and even for Roger Penske, because there's talk that maybe Penske might not renew their deal with the Dick Johnson Racing next year, you know, DJR, of course, said that we're going to continue on with or without Penske next year. They've got themselves set up and, you know, for DJ as well, celebrating 40 years this year since they went to the mountain. Um, for the first time, um, DJ, another significant character in um, the legend of Bathurst and the history and everything. And even though he's one of the Ford drivers, I guess we wouldn't have that rivalry with between Ford versus Holden if it wasn't for people like um, DJ as well involved so good on him good on them as well and I guess for them to this year will be about redemption for last year they're going to want to wipe that slate clean I know there's been some talk already this week in the build-up to the event this weekend about how last year's result is tainted and all that I don't want to go into it too much because you know it's happened it's done we can speculate and gripe about it as much as we want, but the fact is, this is a new year, it's a new race, let's get on with it, and let's see what happens, you know, the mountain is unforgiving, if, you know, it seeks to punish, you know, I'm not being superstitious or, you know, religious or anything here, not that I am, <laughs> um, but if, you know, there was to be some kind of punishment from the mountain, I think, you know, we'll see it this year, but um, he ended up winning the race last year, did McLaughlin, it's in the history book, I think he still drove outstandingly to deserve it, so let's just move on from there, <laughs> and other, I guess, contenders and stuff, I already mentioned 
Cam Waters, Will Davison, but you've got your former Ford stalwarts, the likes of Frosty, Mark Winterbottom, and um, Chaz Mostert as well, who won races for Ford back then, the Ford Performance Racing Team. Now driving Holdens, you know, could they go for second wins as well and win a race for Holden in the, its final race in supercars officially? So that'll be nice to see. And Chaz is coloured his hair blue I think he's gone from Chaz Exotic to you know looking like Sonic the Hedgehog or something there and I guess I think it's just the colour of his car or something so just copying that looks very odd but you know we'll go with it I won't complain about it like Mark Scaife does so yeah you don't really predict a winner at this stage you just cross your fingers and say well we'll see what happens at the end of 161 laps that's all I can say, and um, as far as other things are concerned, well, you know, we've had reports that the Gen 3 details might come out this week, or during the Bathurst 1000, um, potentially a reveal of the Camaro, Chevy Camaro, that might be able to race under the Gen 3 regulations um, when they do get introduced in 2022, so I'm yet to hear anything about that at this stage of the week, but you know, if it does come out later in the week or whatever, or over the weekend, then I'm sure it's something I'll talk about next week. Um, it's good that the tyres this weekend as well, um, Dunlop, they've done a partnership with the Breast Cancer Foundation of Australia, and um, they're going to have pink um, stripes on the tyres, so a nice little tribute there, and um, nod to the Breast Cancer um, charity and everything as well, so um be excited to to be on the lookout for some pink tires or not actually pink tires but you know the pink stripe that's on the Dunlop branding on the tire and you know we're going back to the normal tire rules for this one with pit stops um and fuel stops and all that sort of stuff and I think it's like there's seven compulsory pit stops or whatever minimum and 54 laps minimum for you know co-drivers as well so that'll be some important numbers to to look at before the race uh and yeah that's pretty much it hope that's that's it <laughs> hope that it's enough for you guys to digest and everything um i will say as well that i will be live blogging the bathurst 1000 this year i mean first time i'm going to do it so wish me luck sitting there for six hours uh typing away furiously and uh, making sure all the updates are in and everything lap by lap so that's going to be exciting come sunday and yeah that's that's pretty much it you know hopefully hopefully it's a cracker and i'm sure it will be because it's bathurst <laughs> other than that you know we had motor gp on over the weekend too bit of a bonkers race in the wet at le mans french grand prix and danilo petrucci you know who would have thought you know he's on his way out of ducati this year and um he ended up winning uh, so good on him third consecutive dnf valentino rossi very heartbreaking very depressing now that I'm I'm reading that in front of me again and I'm reminded about the sad reality that has been Valentino's season this year but it was good to see young Alex Marquez on the podium first podium for him in MotoGP um, first of many we hope and you know it's been a difficult year for the Repsol Honda team obviously with Marquez senior going down Mark earlier on in the year and the championship all up in the air because um you know he's not there to dominate all the time so and this is another wacky result that we've got is um young alex marquez on the podium so hopefully we get to see more of him in the future i did say coming into this year that what if you know it's just dominated by the two marquez brothers this year but um alas that was not meant to be 
anyway guys thanks for tuning in as always um be sure to look us up or find us on twitter as always as well at um hit the apex media i have to think there for a second what the the old twitter ha- handle is or oh, i was going to say hashtag am i that behind the times these days no no i'm not i'm not that old <laughs> it might sound like it sometimes but no i'm not but um anyway thanks guys for tuning in happy bathurst weekend happy bathurst day for sunday and um look forward to talking about it next week ciao